This morning, then, we want to turn to that chapter we read in 1 Timothy. And we want to choose our text there, verse 12. I should say 2 Timothy, chapter 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, and at verse 12 for our text. Here we have the words of the Apostle Paul. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And we want to look at this text in context, and if we were looking for a title, we would say, Fully Persuaded. Fully Persuaded. We have in the Bible, we have the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus are the pastoral epistles, and they have been written to young pastors. They were what we would know as evangelists. They were special helpers of the Apostle Paul, and Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to sort out certain things that needed to be sorted out in the congregations in Ephesus. And he left Titus in Crete, mainly to ordain elders and to set things in order. But if you were to look at the, the epistles, these pastoral epistles in chronological order, it would be 1 Timothy, then Titus, and then 2 Timothy. This is Paul's last letter. Here's a man who has been highly experienced in the apostolic ministry. He had founded many churches. He had traveled the best part of the known world. He had truly embraced the commission that the Lord Jesus Christ had given to him. And he had taken that commission with real gusto. He put all his effort into it. He did not slack on any occasion. He was determined to preach the gospel whenever he would have an opportunity. And we must appreciate that it was through his labors that the gospel came to Europe. And ultimately the gospel came to the UK and Scotland and even to Inverness and to all the places around us. So he was one who was widely experienced in the gospel ministry. But he knew his life was coming to an end. And now he's write, writing his last epistle to Timothy because he is convinced that he's on his way out. Verse 6 of chapter 4, for instance, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. The departure he's talking about is death. His time is up. He's fought a good fight. He's been in, involved in the gospel ministry, all kinds of difficulties have come his way and now he's seeking to pass on some of his pastoral experience to 
young Timothy, who was inclined to be somewhat timid. And he wanted to stir him up. And he wanted him to realize the wonderful privilege it is to preach the everlasting gospel. And to be able to stand before men and women and boys and girls and to bring them a message from heaven. A message that will, if embraced, will change the life of every individual for the better and prepare that individual to have the same hope, the same glorious hope that the Apostle Paul had. And the Apostle Paul, with all his difficulties, and he had many, you only have to read through the book of Acts to know all that he suffered for the gospel. With all his difficulties, he was fully persuaded. And friends, this is something that we should seek to have. If the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour, if he has died for us on the cross, if he has paid the price of our sins, if we have been reconciled to God through him, then we are to be fully persuaded of it. And when that great day comes, when we shall pass into eternity, which will happen, friends, let's be clear. doesn't matter how young we are or how old we are. That day will come unless the Lord returns. Well, for for Paul, it was he was on the he was on the, the brink of it, and he was fully persuaded. We want to unpack some of the things that we find in this verse for our edification. Verse twelve, particularly, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that days that day well what does he say for the which cause i also suffer he acknowledges that he has suffered for being a christian he had particular sufferings because he was an apostle he was not a private christian most of whom will be before me this morning will be in the same boat. They will be private Christians. But he had special sufferings that were associated with his calling. But every Christian will have sufferings. I think it's true to say that in the world that we live in today, we try to avoid suffering. And there's nothing really wrong with that. You could think of the medical profession. And we greatly value the medical profession. We all need them on occasions. But part of their remit is to avoid or lessen suffering. And we all benefit from that. But the whole of our lives are surrounded by things that enable us to have lives whereby we do not suffer as maybe our forefathers did. You could think of all the, the gadgets that we have in our homes that make life so much easier. All the electrical things that are in our homes that people a generation or two generations ago would have none of it. 
And all of these things are ultimately designed to make life easier, to take away any hard work or suffering. Well, that kind of mentality is maybe abroad in the Christian church today. We want to avoid suffering. Now, in some sense, that's true. We don't embrace the cross. We don't take up the cross in order to fly into suffering. We don't want to court suffering. But if we're going to be true to the Savior, if we're going to be true to the profession we make, friends, it comes with a territory. We will have suffering. We will suffer because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says here, for the which cause I also suffer these things. He was suffering many things. He was in prison because he was an apostle and he preached the gospel. He wasn't a robber. He wasn't a murderer. He was a preacher. Yet he was in chains as he wrote this letter. Because he accepted that sufferings would come. And he would have to embrace them. This is something that the Christian must bear in mind. We will suffer. Sometimes these sufferings can be subtle. We embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and we want to follow him. We might lose friends. We might lose work colleagues. They don't socialize with us. We're not part of their company anymore. They might speak against us. They distance themselves from us. These things happen. And we have to embrace them. We should never necessarily try to distance ourselves from unbelievers. If we can have a good contact with them. That's something that should be cultivated and maintained. But you'll very often find that from the other side they no longer want your company. That can be difficult because every one of us wants to be accepted. We don't like to be rejected. That's part of the suffering and we must embrace it and accept it and bring it to the Lord in prayer. He accepted his sufferings. Here he was. What wonderful experience he had. He saw the risen Christ. He heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a testimony. What an experience. Yet here he was. In what was probably a rat infested jail. The greatest Christian that ever lived, we might say. Here he was, suffering for the cause of Christ. What else does this verse teach us then? Well, he says, I'm not ashamed. Timothy was inclined to be ashamed. He tells Timothy in verse 8, for instance, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, not of me his prisoner. Here's Timothy, a young pastor, exercising oversight over the congregations at Ephesus. 
And Paul notices that he, he is somewhat ashamed of the Lord, of the testimony of the Lord. Well, friends, if you're going to be a Christian, you'll find that the people of this world will think nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will think nothing of your Savior. You might look at him. You might see him there on the cross. And you might delight in what he's done for you. You can see the great plan of redemption. You can see how God has worked in Christ in order to work out a salvation whereby the attributes of God can be fully satisfied and the love of God can be seen in the coming of the Savior and you can see the great plan of redemption. But your friends, those in the world who don't have the spiritual insight that you have, they think nothing of Christ. Do you think I'm going to put my faith and my hope upon someone who suffered on a cross? Like a criminal? Who was a, who was a terrible state on the cross? Do you think I'm going to put my faith and my hope for time and for eternity upon him? That's what they say. And poor Timothy was inclined to be ashamed of the Lord and ashamed of the great plan of salvation. But friends, the Christian delights in it. We preach Christ and him crucified. We know this is the great answer to man's greatest need. Are we going to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? Poor Timothy was inclined to be. And uh, this, this fact that he was ashamed also, he was ashamed of the Apostle Paul. Paul was in prison. Timothy, that's not your boss, is it? That gentleman that's in a Roman prison, who's in stocks and chains, is that the one you follow? Is he the one who's given the orders to you? Are you going to listen to him, a prisoner in Rome, who's going to die a cruel death? What does Paul say? Be not ashamed. Be not ashamed. Christian, are you ashamed of fellow Christians? You might not be one who approves of what they do, but are you ashamed of them? Are you ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? Here was Timothy. Let's, let's get this clear. Here was Timothy. Here was Timothy in the pastorate. Here was Timothy who was teaching others and preaching to others. He was inclined to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus and of the great apostle Paul. Paul was not ashamed. This is what he says. I'm not ashamed. This man could hold his own in the intellectual world. He could argue with the great philosophers of the day. He was well educated. He was well educated in the scriptures and in the wisdom of the world. And he could hold his own whatever he went. And he was not going to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, he was going to delight in him. Here was a, a cultured individual who would be an asset to any place he went to in any part of the world, was he going to be ashamed? No, because he delighted in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
friends, let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us not be ashamed of our Savior. Let us not be ashamed of Christianity. Let us declare it. Why? Because we have confidence in it. We know that the great message of the gospel is what this world needs to hear. And therefore we are to live it out in our lives. We may not all be preachers, but if we're Christians, then we are to be identified with Christ and with Christians, and we are not to be ashamed of them or of the cause of Christ. Well, he says, he suffers, he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of his sufferings. If that's what it takes, if that's what befalls me under the providence of God, am I going to be ashamed that I'm in prison? I'm not in prison because I'm a murderer or because I'm an evildoer. I'm in prison because I'm a preacher of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to be ashamed. And Christian, you should not be ashamed. The world may disdain you and think little of you. It matters not. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everything, everything that this world cannot give you. He goes on. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Why was he not ashamed? And why was he able to suffer? Because he believed. You know, there was a day when he didn't believe. You know, he was a great persecutor of the church. He sought to destroy the church. He was Paul the Pharisee. He was zealous. He was out and out to destroy the cause of Christ. But something happened to him. And we read it in Acts chapter 9. What happened to him? He was converted. He had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, his experience is unique. And we are not to think that we're going to get an experience that he got. He was not only converted, but he was called and commissioned into that unique band of preachers. He was to be an apostle. He was to be one of the very pillars and the foundations of the church. He had a unique experience. But friends, he had an experience that every single one of us must have. He was converted. He was turned round. His life was going in one direction. He thought he was serving God. He was going in this direction, but suddenly he met, he came face to face with the risen Lord and he was transformed and he went off in another direction altogether. He was converted. <clears throat> Let me ask you, have you been converted? I didn't ask, have you been to the session? I didn't ask if you were brought up in a Christian home. Have you been converted? Friends, 
This is absolutely vital. This is important. We cannot gloss over this. He was truly converted, turned around. His life was never the same. New motives, new desires, a new life, a new heart, new outlook, new thinking. It was all new. And his life demonstrated it. The enthusiasm and the zeal that he had for his old life, his old religious life, was transformed. And now his energies were directed towards the cause of Christ. He truly believed. Do you believe? Have you faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, I know you know about him. Oh, I know that. You know the gospel record. You can go to your Bibles. You can read about this and about that. You know about his teachings. You know about his miracles. You know about the Gethsemane. You know there that he sweated great drops of blood. You know about Golgotha. You know about the crown of thorns. You know about the blood pouring out of his head, his forehead, and his hands and his feet and his side. You know all about it. But friends, have you been converted to the Lord Jesus? Do you believe upon him? That's what matters. And what does it mean to believe? It means, do you trust him? Have you cast your life, your soul, everything upon Jesus Christ? That's what matters. The devil believes. Yes. James tells us in that practical book of Christianity, he tells us the devils believe and they tremble. People can believe in an historical Jesus. They can believe all that the Bible tells speaks about Jesus but do you believe on him are you looking to him have you cast away your own self-righteousness and are you leaning upon your beloved that's what matters this is what happened to him here he cast himself upon the Lord Jesus Lord what wilt thou have me to do He believed, therefore, and because he believed, he was persuaded. He was fully persuaded, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded. He's gone from one camp to the other. He's resting upon Jesus Christ. He's fully persuaded. Are you persuaded? We can go to the scriptures and we can think about people who sit on the fence. Now we use that in a, a human perspective. How long halt ye between two opinions, Elijah says. If Baal be God, follow him. If the Lord be God, follow him. Where are we today? 
Are we sitting on the fence? In actual fact, we cannot be neutral upon this matter. We cannot. The Bible does not recognize neutrality. We're either with Christ or we're not. And we may be religious and we may be able to talk about the Bible and we may be able to talk about books and we may have great knowledge but unless we're believing and persuaded upon Jesus Christ we're still in the camp of the unbeliever and we don't have that great hope that is before us, before the Christian. And therefore, are you persuaded? You know, he was fully persuaded he took up the cross. <coughs> he was willing to be identified with Christ. He took up that cross daily. And therefore he was able to say, I'm persuaded. How much was he persuaded? Well, the remainder of our text tells us that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What has he committed to Christ? He's committed his soul, his never-dying eternal soul, something that you all have. Something we all have. Everyone has. We're made in the image of God. And part of that image is that he has given us a soul. And that soul shall live forever. And ever. And therefore the Apostle Paul has committed his everything. The most precious thing he has is soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is convinced that he's able to save them on that great day. What is that great day he's referring to? He's not referring to his death. His death was coming. Yes, that's true. And in some sense, that is a great day. It's a very notable day. It's a dreadful day. That's not the day he's talking about. He's talking about that great day when everyone shall stand before King Jesus. And give account. He's talking about that great day of judgment. And he's looking forward to that day. Because he's committed his soul. Unto the king of kings. And the lord of lords. To Jesus Christ himself. And on that great day friends. When he will stand before king Jesus. As he's on that great white throne. He will be saved. His eternal soul shall be saved. And if we understand our eschatology correct, his soul shall be united to a new and a spiritual body. He shall be saved for all eternity. He will know the fullness of Christian salvation. What do we know today? We know today if we're Christians, we know that our souls are saved but the day will come when body and soul shall be separated. The body shall rot. It shall go into dust. But the day will come when Jesus returns. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
they shall have new bodies. And their souls shall be united to this new body forever and ever. That's what he's looking forward to. That great day. That day when everything, everything that belongs to the Christian shall be fulfilled. Well, he is fully persuaded of that. Can we agree with him? Do we fall into the same camp? Can we know something of this that he speaks of here with such pathos and power? Friends, if we're Christians, this is not just for the Apostle Paul or the other Apostles. We have it here for our encouragement that we might know this also. That this great persuasion that he has, that he believes the Lord Jesus Christ will see him through death and bring him to the resurrection and the judgment day with glory. He wants you to have this also. That there might be joy in our Christian lives as we, as we fight the good fight of faith here. Is there anyone, friend, who should be as happy as a Christian? Oh, I know Christians have difficulties. I know that. Christians have sorrows. They have bereavements. They have sicknesses. They have all of these kind of things. They have troubles with relationships. They have troubles in homes and families. There's many troubles that the, the Christian will have. But surely underneath it all, underneath it all, the Christian should have this joy. Yes, the joy of the Lord is our strength because we know that through all these troubles, and there will be many, they will be manifold, and they might come all at once at some time, yet we're to have this joy. Why? Because, does not Paul say, has not the Holy Spirit revealed it to us? We know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Friend, how can we know this? How can we be fully persuaded like the Apostle Paul was? It is that we might have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might look unto him. Did we not read in verse 10? Our Saviour Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This man was fully persuaded. Why? Because he fully trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to know this to be fully persuaded... We must trust him. We must take our eyes off ourselves. We must take our eyes off the hard providences that might come our way. Oh, I'm not dismissing these things. No, far from it. But I want us to rise above these things and to see a God who has given us everything in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has done 
everything required in order to bring all his, all his people, all Christians, to glory, even the weakest. No wonder the apostle said on one occasion, increase our faith, increase our faith. That's what we need. But maybe there are some here who have no faith. What must you do? Well, you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must call upon his name. Have you got a warrant to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Of course you have. What is that warrant? You're a sinner. You're a healthy servant sinner. You are lost. You are perishing. But Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. There's your warrant. There it is. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is this not what the Apostle Paul had in prison? He had hardly a good meal. There was no warm bed, no shower, no toilet, nothing like that. Yet, he had rest. Caesar on his throne, he had no rest. The Apostle Paul had, because he was fully persuaded. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. Let us pray together. <clears throat> o Lord, we thank thee again for thy word. And we thank thee for the example set before us. But supremely, we thank thee for the ultimate example, Christ the Lord, who endured all things and who now sits down at the right hand of God. Lord, help us, we pray, that we would have our faith rooted and grounded in him. Bless thy word, therefore, to us. Take away anything said amiss, but be pleased to set thy seal upon thy word. And all we ask is in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> we shall conclude by singing from Psalm 62 from verse 5 Psalm 62 from verse 5 My soul wait thou with patience upon thy God alone on him dependeth all my hope and expectation. He only my salvation is, and my strong rock is he. He only is my sure defense, I shall not move it be. We'll sing four stanzas to verse 8, Psalm 62, 5 to 8. My soul, wait thou with patience. <clears throat> my soul, wait thou with
Our intimations are as follows. We have our evening worship at 6.30pm. The prayer meeting on Thursday will be taken by Mr. Derek McLean. Services next Sabbath are at the usual times of 11am and 6.30pm and will be taken by the Reverend A. Sutton. Mrs. Mary Kelly's funeral will take place on Tuesday at William Fraser's Funeral Home, Caldaffel Road, at 12 noon. Mr. Clark will conduct the service. Interment will be at Tom Nahurik Cemetery, Glenacourt Road. Please remember her son Ewan and the wider family in prayer. If you wish to contribute to Foundations Matter, the Christian Adoption Agency, whose founder spoke to us on Thursday, please put your donation in an envelope marked Foundations Matter and place in the plate, and Mr. Ian Martin will forward these to them. These are all the intimations, God willing. <clears throat> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.